International cooking festival, and we will prepare something which my nephew, the Swedish chef, yeah. he, he will, will talk to you in just yep. one minute. Yeah, yeah, that's his name. But we call him Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, everybody, and happy Daylight Savings Sunday, the bad one. Glad that you all were able to wake up an hour early and brave the tough day of an hour less asleep and make it here to church on Sunday. And we have a fun day planned here for you today, because if you don't know what we're doing right here, last week we started a great series called Seasoning Life. And the whole point of this series is we are talking about what it means to be a questionable person. Now, we agree that our goal in Christianity is actually to lead questionable lives. And when we lead questionable lives, that's actually when life is seasoned just right. And when we live questionable, then our prayers taste just right to God. Our Bible reading has that perfect taste that it's supposed to have. Our fasting, our giving, everything we do, when it's seasoned properly, tastes oh so beautiful to God and to ourselves when we live questionable lives. Now, what does it mean to live a questionable life? What does that phrase mean? Because it sounds like it's kind of a negative phrase, but we spun it in a positive way. Well, questionable means literally just what it sounds like, that a person asks you questions. Is that we as Christians, there should be something about our lives that make people say, hey, why are you like that? How come you don't behave the way I behave? How come you're different than the rest of us? In a positive way, hopefully not in a negative way, hopefully in a positive way. But we should be questionable people. And the reason why we should be questionable, because what we agreed last week, is that we as the church, we as the children of God on this earth, are not here just for our own selves. We're not here just for our own comfort. We are an army. We are soldiers. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that Christ desires to save every single person on this earth. Uh, he came this earth to save every single person. But did Christ reach every single person on this earth? Did Christ speak to every single person on this earth? Did Christ uh, uh, touch every single person on this earth? He didn't, but what he did do is he raised up an army to go out and do that mission. So I always say Christ never came to Arlington. Christ lived in Israel and he visited Egypt for a little bit. And that's pretty much the extent of his travels. He never came to Arlington, but he did come to Arlington through us. And Christ never came to your uh, dorm. He never visited uh, your dorm, your university, your office building. But he did because he sent you to go and be in his place. We are soldiers. We are ambassadors. And everywhere we go, we are supposed to be, supposed to be soldiers on the front lines of this big war. This big war between light and dark. Good and bad. God and his kingdom, and his eternal kingdom, and Satan, 
and what he desires to enslave people. We are supposed to be not just bystanders watching this thing or reading about it or hearing on a reports on Sunday. We come to church and someone tells us how the war is going. We say, okay, that's great. We go back home and do nothing. We're supposed to be on the front lines. We're supposed to be the ones fighting the war. We're supposed to be the ones who are getting nicked up in the process. And there's some casualties, but we keep on fighting because we know that this war, we know who's going to win in the end of this war. And that's why we keep on fighting. Our theme verse for this series is coming from Colossians chapter 4, which tells us that there's two ways that you can go about fighting. There's kind of two roles we talked about last week to be a fighter or a soldier in the army of God. The first role is what St. Paul's role, and some people are gifted for that, and that's great. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Certain people are gifted with the job of speaking, and their job is to go and initiate conversation and go out there and preach the gospel and stand up in front of a large group of people and make manifest the gospel of Christ. And if that's your gift, you fight with, you fight with that gift and you do the best job that you can. I'm not saying it's just me who has that gift. Many people have that gift. But if you don't have that gift, does that mean you have no role? Well, your role is the second part of this verse. For those who don't have that gift, your job is to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. If the first job was to speak, the second job is to answer. Everyone has to do one of these jobs. You may be gifted, like I said, to go out there and speak the gospel. More power to you. You say, that's not me. I'm not a speaker. Okay, well then your job is to answer. Your job is that you behave in such a way, that you live in such a way, that you speak in such a way, that people come to you and say, what's wrong with you? You're not like the rest of us. The boss came and yelled at all of us. All of us are, are stressed out and we're anxious. We don't know what to do. We're pulling our hair out. And you sitting there as calm as, 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 as the other side of the pillow, cool the other side of the pillow. This person mistreated you and we thought that you were going to go crazy on them because that's what we would have done. But you were nice to them back. You pray for people who hurt you? See, that's the way the early church was. That's the way Christ was. Don't, can't you see, if you read the life of Christ, that his life was different than everybody else's, that his life stood out, that there was something about him that people say, who is this guy? What is he? Is he a prophet? Is he, is he, is he, is he the Messiah? Is he, is he a bum? Like, who is this guy? Something is different about this guy. He's a deceiver. No, he's the son of God. No, he's, something was different. He stuck out. Same thing with his disciples. The early church, their lives stuck out. And I told you all this last week, is that in the beginning, the term Christian was invented by who? It was not invented by us as saying in the church, saying we need a cool, like a title and like a logo, you know what I mean? And like a, 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 a theme song. So let's go with Christian, it's catchy. We didn't make up the term Christian. Who made up the term Christian? The bad guys. Because the bad guys looked and said, you guys, you, you're weird. You don't fit in with the rest of us. In the middle of a barbaric society, you guys are gentle. In the middle of people cursing you, you bless them. These, these, what should we call them? These, these Christ followers, these Christians. The term Christian was given as, as a way to say, like, you guys are weird. You guys stand out. And I'm telling you, if our lives don't stand out, something isn't right. If our lives don't stand out, something isn't right. <clears throat> Christians in the early centuries of Christianity stood out so much, not because of what they said, but because of the way they lived. And that's why Christianity spread like wildfire 
through a, a, a society that was opposed to everything about Christianity. Everything about society when Christianity started was the gods. And basically, you just live your life and you hope to not mess with the gods. And you just hope they have mercy on you. But there was no such thing as God loves you. That's a foreign concept. There was no such thing. It was the gods are angry, and then maybe they're not angry for a second. So your job is just not make them angry. But this idea of God is humble, and God comes to earth, and God loves you, completely foreign. That's why even St. Paul spoke about it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are outside. It doesn't make any sense. But somehow this Christianity thing spread like wildfire. How? Not because of the great preachers, not because of the great speakers, but because people lived questionable lives. So much so that people came to them and said, there's something different about you. <clears throat> I was one time asked this question, or I read it in a book or something like that, that said, if Christianity today was declared illegal by the United States government and says anyone who is a Christian will be thrown in jail, would anyone accuse you? Would anyone accuse you? Would anyone say, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, that guy, I know, that guy, he's for sure a Christian because he's not like the rest of us. Or would they come to your office and say, yeah, I work with all these people. They're clean. No Christians here. Because these guys, yeah, they're just like the rest of us. Yeah, they may go to church on Sundays, but they don't, they, I mean, they tell the same jokes we tell. They do the same thing in happy hour that we do. They watch the same TV shows that we do. There's nothing really different about them. They, they, maybe their book tells them they should do different things, but believe me, these guys, you're safe. They're not Christians here. Go move on. The whole point of this series, we're talking about five habits. We're talking about five habits that lead to questionable living. Five habits that should be in place in our lives that make us stand out, that make us fulfill the verse that St. Peter said when he said that we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. We should always be ready to answer questions for the hope that is in us. Well, my point is this, is that you can't answer a question that nobody is asking. So you must live in such a way that people ask you a question and then be ready to give the answer. That's the point of this series. Now, how do we do that? Let's jump in to our first week. How many people saw this picture this week? Anyone see this picture? No one saw this picture? Look at this. This was like a very famous picture this week, all right? Some people saw this picture. We spoke about it in our life group, okay? That's why we, 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 we know about this. This picture actually was taken up in Baltimore, in that area, by a police officer. Let me tell you the story since I assume more of you saw it. It kind of went viral on the internet, the World Wide Web, okay, the past few days, okay? Basically, a police officer was patrolling the street and he saw this homeless guy. I know it's not a very clear picture, okay? But there's this homeless guy lying in the street. And the police officer sees that man lying there. And then he sees this other guy with the backpack, this young punk, uh, start to approach him. And the police officer thinks that the kid is going to like rob the homeless man or like take something from him because he approaches the guy and, and the kid starts like patting down the homeless guy. So he's like touching him like this, and the homeless guy's kind of passed out there. So the police officer begins to approach in a way that he thinks is gonna be like a, like a conflict right here. And then as he gets closer, he realizes that the kid isn't trying to steal from the homeless guy. He isn't messing with the homeless guy. He is praying for the homeless guy. So what did the police officer do? What do we all do? He pulled out his cell phone and took a picture. <laughs> he put it on the internet, what else? In our life group this past week, we spoke about this, and we, at, the question came up in life group about, like we were talking about what it means to be a questionable person, all right? And the question was posed to us, what is it that makes you question others? Like what is it that's questionable to you? What is it that other people do that makes you say, hey, why you did that? Or, or makes you like call attention? And I said this, 
What makes me stop and take notice is when someone does a completely selfless act. Because I kind of have this theory that everyone has an agenda and I'm always trying to figure out what's everyone's agenda and what's everyone trying to accomplish. But when you see someone like this kid who has no agenda, who's really, he's not gaining anything from this guy. No one asked him to do it. No one told him to do it. He's not going to get an award for it. In fact, he almost got in, in trouble with the police officer for doing it. And you see him do something like this, nothing to gain. That makes me stop and say, hey kid, what's your story? Hey kid, where are you from? Hey kid, do you, go to, do you believe in God? Like, what's your story? That makes me stop and say, what's with you? And that gets us to our first habit that we are going to talk about. Our habits are going to follow the acronym BELLS. Everybody we're going to see a different habit. BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. Not BLESS, okay? BELLS. And our first habit is this. I will bless three people this week at least one of whom is not a member of our church. <clears throat> I will bless three people this week. This is what you and I are going to do beginning today. I will bless three people this week. One, okay, one should be a member of our church. One should be not a member of our church. And the third is an option. One member of our church. One member not of our church. And third is an option. It's up to you. I will bless three people randomly this week. What does it mean to bless someone? Bless is the most difficult to define word in all of Christianity. Because everyone uses it to mean something different. And the majority, if we're honest, the majority of our prayers to God are asking for blessing when we don't even know what that means. For example, I could bring you three parents right here. And each one of them say, please God bless my children in school. Common prayer for, for parents say, please God bless my children in school. And those three parents mean three completely different things with that word. One means get them good grades. One means bless them, health, not to get sick from the, 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 the sick guy who's coughing up a storm in the corner. One means bless him with friends and that he's happy. So the word bless can mean grades, mean friends, mean health. Lord, bless me at work. Usually bless me at work means more money. Okay, that's usually what it means, but not necessarily. Bless could mean a uh, make me famous. Make my product famous. Bless could mean make you my boss fired. <laughs> or transferred to a faraway place. Bless my church. What does that mean? Bless the world. Bless my life. We use the word bless as a generic, which just basically means just give me a get out of jail free card to do whatever I want. Bless my marriage. Bless my life. Bless my church. Just anything that I could ever want at any point in time. That's what bless means. <clears throat> we also use the term bless in the context of things. Bless my home. Bless my dinner. When someone, uh, 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 when someone is uh, eating, we say bless the food. When someone's sneezing, we say bless the nose. When someone we hate them, we say bless their heart. <laughs> we need to come up with a definition of what does it mean to bless. And if you see on your handout, three definitions that I pulled from online, and you could find like a hundred different definitions, but I tried to kind of summarize them and, and group them into these three. The first one is the act of consecrating something as holy. And that's like I said, bless the food, bless this child, bless this home, bless my car, bless this item to consecrate and say this thing, this belongs to you, God, this item is holy. Second is make happy. And the word bless 
in the Bible can be interchanged with happy at times. Like where it says, blessed are those who mourn now. Okay, that can be used or it can be translated to make happy those who are mourned now. Those who are mourning now, make happy. All right. Third, which is my favorite of all the definitions, which is really an old, old definition, to add strength to one's arm. <clears throat> what does that mean? To add strength to one's arm. To bless someone means to add strength to one's arm. Means to make someone stronger. To build someone up. To, get, to make someone's light load a little bit lighter. Someone's burden a little bit easier. To give someone an extra boost that they may need. To give strength to one's arm. You see, when you look at these three definitions, all right, we're going to talk about practical examples of how to bless. But I want you to keep these three definitions in mind. If you look at it, three definitions. One is an act of worship. It's to declare this item as holy. So I want to say, I want to bless this boy. First thing I'm going to do is say, this boy is a holy boy. He's a son of God. So whatever I do is an act of worship to God. So when we talk about bless the homeless guy, it's declaring this homeless guy is a child of God, image of God, son of God. We declare him as holy. That's the first step to blessing. Number two is to make happy. It's kind of like the emotional side. It's basically to say, to put a smile on someone's face. And just putting a smile on someone's face is a worthy goal. We have a group that goes and does this playtime project where they have the disadvantaged children and the at-risk children and just play games with them. Just play games. And they, the kids had a miserable life before and they got a miserable life after. But those who have done this volunteer opportunity, isn't it a worthy goal to just put a smile on a kid's face and let a kid play for a couple hours once a week? That's a worthy goal. That's what we want to do. And third, to add strength to someone's arm, to relieve someone's burden, to help someone out in life, all right, in some kind of meaningful way. We want to do all three. I'm going to give you three practical examples of how you could bless people this week. But don't be limited to these three. I said bless someone, automatically in your mind you came up with an idea. Maybe that's from the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do what I'm saying. I'm just trying to help you out for the sake of the person who doesn't understand where to get started. Let me just give you a little push in the right direction with three ideas that you can think in terms of as far as to how to bless someone's life, all right? The first one, the first way, is the simplest way of all, the easiest way of all with no cost to you whatsoever is simply to affirm someone's worth. Maybe you've read the book, The Five Love Languages. Okay, I know it's a famous concept. Okay, but there's basically five different ways to express love. I want to follow kind of that pattern. And this one is the words. Okay, one of the ways that we express love, one people, that people receive love, is through words, what we say. And that's the first option right here. Is that you can bless someone without spending a penny. You can bless someone without putting any effort into it. All you have to do is open your mouth and give someone a compliment and say, hey, you know what? As it says right there, you rock. You have value. You're great. See, we don't realize it because we are all very good actors. We are all very good actors. You are a good actor. I am a better actor. We are all good actors, and we hide the fact that every one of us is insecure about something. Every single person who you know is insecure about something. We just hide it very well. But the wife, who's, who has, who's a wife, okay, who's the lady who's a wife, okay, she's insecure that she's not a good enough wife. And she thinks that she's not doing a good job of being a good wife. She's insecure about it. She won't tell you, but that's how she feels. The, the, the father feels like he's not a good parent. 
The boss feels like everyone doesn't really like him, doesn't really respect him. The coworker feels like he doesn't belong here and he's not pulling his weight on the team. The friend in your little social circle feels like the people don't really connect with him and they just kind of include him in the group out of pity and that he's not really as good as the rest of them. Every single person is insecure about something. What does an insecure person need? What does someone who feels like I'm not a good wife need to be a good wife? What does someone who feels like I'm not a good son need to be a good son? I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good Christian. What does someone who feels bad about something need in order to be good at it? Affirmation. Encouragement. Just someone to say, you're doing great. You're not perfect. But you have value. And you have worth. You have no idea, I hope you have an idea, but you may not, the value of someone sending a note, a text, or even a good old-fashioned phone call, if we remember how to do those things. To just basically say, hey, you know what, I was thinking of you, and I want to tell you, you did a great job at whatever. Or I really admire the way you, or you know what, the way you did this really inspired me to, you have no idea. See, I get those random. See, I'm about up here. You see, I'm about as confident as it gets. And no one would say that I ever struggle with insecurity or lack of confidence. And no one would say that because you see me up here. And like I said, I'm a pretty good actor. I've been doing this for many years. So I think I've kind of perfected the art. But I'm just as insecure as anybody else. And I get the email from someone saying, hey, you know what? I brought my coworker to church last week. And you know what? I was so scared because she's had many bad experiences. And I brought her. And I'm so thankful that you preach that. Whatever it may be, I'm thankful for you. You don't know what that does to me. Just a random little note. Yeah, it picks me up. And that pushes me to the following week. That encourages me. It says, you know what? I can do this. We all need a little pick-me-up every now and then, don't we? And you don't realize. I'm telling you this because, see, I, I, I kind of see both sides of the coin. I see this person is struggling and this person is insecure. And then all of a sudden, God put on this person's heart to just tell that person, hey, you're great. And then this person came to me and said, hey, you know what this person did? And then I asked this person and said, no, I didn't do anything. I just... And I see this transaction, this divine transaction. And I'm telling you, this divine transaction changes this person's future forever. You don't see that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just puts it on your heart and says, you know what? Just get this person to pick me up. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receive one another as Christ received us to the glory of God. How did Christ receive us? Jesus was the master at affirmation. Jesus went to people who felt as low as low can be, who felt as worthless as worthless can be, who were told their whole lives that they're worthless and they're good for nothing, and Jesus came to them and he lifted them up. He picked them up. And if you want to be like Christ, then you need to learn how to do the same thing. He went to the Samaritan woman who felt like garbage. And he said, you ain't garbage, lady. You're great. He went to uh, Zacchaeus, who was like we talked about last week, was the scumbag of the town. And everyone said, Tua to Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, man, you a precious child of God. He went to the boneheaded St. Peter after all the boneheaded decisions that he did and all the mistakes that he made and said, Peter, I believe in you. And on you, I want to build my church. Actually, Jesus did that to all his disciples, right? His disciples were illiterate. They were fishermen. They were good for nothing. And Jesus said, no, in my eyes, y'all are going to reign with me. He was the master of taking someone down and lifting them up. How about you? If we are his ambassadors, we should be doing the same. What's the opposite of lifting someone up? Is putting someone down. Whose specialty is putting people down? 
Satan. Because in the book of Revelation, it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And it says that, that he, in front of God, day and night, accuses us. And basically says to God, that guy's not worthy. That guy's no good. He's not a good son. She's a bad daughter. And she's really, really bad. And that's all he does. And he tells God how bad we are. And he tells us how bad we are. He tells us how bad we are. And he says, you're never going to be a good wife. You're never going to be a good mom. You're never going to be a Christian. You're never going to be able to get this fasting thing. You're never going to be able to get this purity thing. That's all he does is shout accusations day and night, day and night, day and night. And I'm telling you that if you want to be like the devil, you learn to put people down. And you are a great disciple of the devil. If you want to be like Christ, Christ, St. John says in 1 John chapter 2, is the advocate before the Father. Meaning, advocate meaning like the lawyer, the attorney. He's the one who stands, no, 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 he's okay. Okay, I know he made a mistake, but don't worry, he's with me. No, 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 don't worry, get this right this time. That's who Christ is. Now, I just posed you, Satan accuser, Christ defender. Which one are you? Which one looks more like your life? You someone who makes excuses for people, picks people up? Or you someone who helps people feel as low as low can be? Did you know... Proverbs 18, 21. Did you know that death and life are in the power of the tongue? You agree with this, don't you? That your tongue has the power to make someone feel like a million bucks. Also has the power to make someone feel like a piece of trash. All in that tongue. Small little tongue. Very powerful. Life and death. Here's what I want you to think about for this first one. <clears throat> I want you to think about who is it that you struggle to accept as Christ accepted you? Who is it that kind of annoys you? Who is it that kind of tweaks you a little bit? And then you, who is that person? Could be a sibling, could be a family member, who could be someone in the office. Who is it that person that you struggle to accept as Christ accepted you? Maybe, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just throwing ideas, but God guides you. I'm saying maybe God wants you to not judge them, but to help them. Maybe God put you in their life not to judge them, as this person is obnoxious and tell them they're obnoxious, that's only going to create more obnoxiousness from them. Maybe God put you in there to find something good in them and to encourage them in that one good area. Maybe. Here in this church, those who have been members of the church for a while know we take this very seriously around here because we have 10 core values and the very first of our core values is limitless acceptance. One of our core values, to be a member of this church, you must agree on this. If you don't agree on this, you're not going to be happy in this church right here is that we accept everyone as Christ accepted us. And we see every single person, so we say, every person who enters our church is the most important person in the whole wide world. You know why? Because that person was sent here by God himself. So we view that way. And there's no limit to the acceptance of any human being, okay, who walks into our church. And we know that our church is not just these four walls. Our church is everywhere we go. So we take this limitless acceptance thing very seriously. Number one way is the power of the tongue. You affirm someone's worth. Number two, and this one could get a little touchy-feely here, is show some affection, man. Loosen up. Show some love, man. This is the physical touch one. And I am dabbling, I am entering into uncharted waters here, what I'm about to do. <clears throat> Those who know me, I'm very... I'm the guy when we sit in the car, okay, this is what we just do when we sit in the car. There's the line. You stay on your side, I stay on my side, okay? Everyone has their items, like, phew. But I am learning through the years to 
lighten up a little bit and <laughs> loosen up a little bit and to be a little more touchy-feely and I'll tell you why okay there's a there's a, 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 a serious story as to why and I've told this story before some of you may remember it is a long time ago back when I was over at st. Mark serving as priest over there there was a young girl probably in high school or something like that that you know I'd see her and I'd give her a hug I'd see her and I'd give her a hug and I remember one Sunday I, I didn't give her a hug for whatever reason because I'm just whatever and you think nothing of it. Like you hug someone so many times, but then like you didn't hug her that one time. But then she came to me later and told me that like, are you upset at me? I said, no, why? She said, because you didn't hug. I was like, I don't know. And this is a girl who had gone through a lot of stuff. Okay, this is a girl who had led kind of a difficult life and uh, you know, like her father, like didn't really have a relationship with her father. And she basically told me that my hug on Sunday was the only hug she got all week. Yeah, and it made me sad. That made me very sad. Because no one should go a week without a hug. You know what I mean? So then he started to ask yourself this question, is when I hug someone now on Sunday, how long does that hug need to last? <laughs> and for some people, unfortunately, like if they miss a Sunday, So now, here's what we're gonna do right now. <clears throat> For the sake of those who are challenged when it comes to embracing an hugology, I'm going to do a tutorial for you. <laughs> and I did this actually four years ago when I first started the church. I did the same tutorial, but the church was much smaller, and some of you may need a refresher and the different ways that you can hug someone and show affection. I need a volunteer, my man Mina right here. I'm bringing Mina up here. Give Mina a big hand here, okay? <laughs> Mina's gonna be my volunteer. Mina has no idea what he's in for right now, but Mina's gonna help me to show you the different ways that you can hug someone with not feeling awkward, okay? Because my thing is, I'm not a natural, like if you're a huggy person, more power to you, but I'm not, I'm a very stiff person. So the way I have to do it, I have to come up with a system, okay, and come up with option one, option two, option three, option four. So I got four options for you, okay? And we'll go from least intimate to most intimate, least awkward to most awkward, okay? So hug number one is what I would call the handshake hug, okay? And the handshake hug may also be referred to as like the bro hug, okay? And that's basically where you do like this and you come in like this. There you go. Easy get going, right? And that's very good like for, you know, you don't want to get too close right there, like a male to male kind of, I don't know if it works female to female, but it's a very good male to male. Handshake hug, come in right there, two pats, there you go, okay? Two pats, okay? Moving up the ladder, <laughs> Moving up the ladder is what has become famous recently as the side hug, okay? And the side hug is basically you want to hug someone, but you don't want to go face to face, all right? So you kind of come in for one of the, there you go, very good. Now the key is, eyes straight ahead the whole time, all right? None of the east and west, north and south the whole time, all right? Come like that and you move over, okay? And that's very good for like an awkward male to female kind of a hug, okay? Side hug, looking straight ahead, okay? Third option, third option is the Middle Eastern double kiss hug. <laughs> and the beauty of this one is it actually, it's, it sounds worse than it is because actually you can accomplish this without actually making any physical contact, okay? You just gotta go like this. There you go, okay? <laughs> and if you want to make a noise, you can, but don't actually turn that head, okay? Just the air, okay? Now the fourth 
And the highest level is the two-hander, okay? And this one is you just gotta kinda take a deep breath. You go in looking this way and you grasp long enough to say the following. Not a sissy, not a sissy, not a sissy. There you go. <laughs> Big hand for Mr. Mina. Thank you very much, Mina. Thank you. See, we're teaching real life stuff around here, not just theoretical stuff, all right? I'm a systems guy. I need a system for everything, because that's my system, all right? Why hugs are important. The Bible commands us. If we are a family, look. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving pre preference to one another. You don't know whose love language is touch. And people whose love language is touch, a high five, a good handshake, a hug, a pat on the back, means the world to them. It means the world to them. We know that God created us as human beings to need touch. Okay, those who, children, failure to thrive is when kids aren't touched enough because kids need to be touched. That's why God made them cute and cuddly and, and fuzzy and all kinds of fun stuff so that we would touch them and we would pinch their little cheeks because they need that. Well, did you know that adults also need to be touched? A study from UCLA said that to be healthy, satisfied, fulfilled adults need eight to 10 meaningful touches a day. Eight to 10 meaningful touches a day. And you don't know who hasn't gotten their eight to 10 meaningful touches this day. Now, obviously, this one needs a little bit of wisdom, okay, especially in like the work setting, okay? But my point is, don't be afraid. If we're a family, don't be afraid to give someone a hug. Don't be afraid to say, hey, put her there. Don't be afraid. We just need to get past the awkwardness of it. <clears throat> Here's how we're gonna get past the awkwardness of it. We're gonna practice what we preach. Everyone stand up, give someone a hug. Stand up, give someone a hug. Everyone, let's go. There you go, look at that. Husband, wife, friend, friend, brother, sister. Give a hug, give a hug. Hey, I appreciate it, thank you, sir. Thank you, I appreciate it. Look at that, look at that. All right, all right, that's it with the hugs. That's it with the hugs, back down. Stay down, stay away from my wife, you. <laughs> Don't hug my sister, okay, okay. Very good, have a, have a seat, have a seat, there you go. It feels good, doesn't it? It's fun, we're a family, it's good, it's good. Some of you, I can read your minds right now, some of you are thinking to yourself, some of you are thinking to yourself, I never come back to this place again. <laughs> Others of you are thinking, next time I'm gonna make sure I sit next to someone else. <laughs> Be strategic in who you sit next to in church, you never know when hugs are gonna break out, okay? Be strategic in who you sit next to. Nothing better than a good awkward hug to get you in the mood to hear the word of God, right? Number three, we talked about our words. We talked about physical affection. And number three, give a gift. Give a gift. Because this is one thing I know about you. I know about you that when you receive a gift, not a birthday gift, not a Christmas gift, an unexpected, random, out of the blue, hey, I was just thinking about you and I wanted to give you, be it a physical gift or a favor gift. A, hey, you know what? You guys, husband and wife, y'all look like you don't have anyone to take care of your kid. You haven't gone out for a while. Hey, you know what? I'll babysit your kid for you one night. Why don't y'all go enjoy your time? <laughs> the parents are saying amen to them. When you are, <clears throat> see a neighbor, okay? When we moved into our house, 
and we saw uh, the, the, the amount of leaves in our yard at the, at the, when the fall came, and we're sitting there trying to shovel that, and the neighbor comes and say, hey, you need a hand, completely out of the blue, and that feels good. I'm telling you, when we had all that snow, right, we had all that snow, the, the 10 feet of snow, whatever it is that we had, and we're responsible to shovel our sidewalk, okay? So my neighbor, it's always a matter of like, okay, where's the exact boundary line <laughs> between the sidewalks, okay? And I usually go to the boundary and then go one step over, all right? Just to say like, I'll help you out a little bit, but you know, like, each, like you, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm lines, okay? So he came and shoveled all the way into my, I wanted to give the guy cash. I wanted to knock on his door and say, here's money, okay? Because that feels good when someone just thinks of you and just does something for you or gives you a gift completely out of the blue. Alcoholics Anonymous which has helped people for hundreds, of, not hundreds of years, but decades, okay? Helped people for decades, since the beginning of the 1900s. Used to have nine daily promises that they would make their participants, like make these promises. Nine things you had to do every day. Things you had to recite, things you had to say. And one of the promises, every single day, every single day, I will do somebody a good turn and not get found out. Like, I'll do someone a good deed and not get found out. And if anyone knows about it, it doesn't count. When was the last time you did something completely selfless? You gave someone a gift. You did someone a favor. You did something completely out of the blue. And nobody knew about it except you. <clears throat> you know what that is? That's questionable living. Hey, I went to Starbucks. I got you this. Why'd you do that? What'd you put inside it? What do you want from me? That's questionable living. Hey, you know, uh, I see that you're struggling uh, mowing the lawn because you're an old lady. I'll mow your lawn for you. But don't say it that way, but you know what I mean, okay? Like an old neighbor, hey, I'll mow your lawn for you. Why? Why? What do you want? Hey, you need a hand? I see that you have some car trouble. Can I help you with that? Hey, I see that, um, you know, you have a uh, old whatever. I wanted to get you this new thing. Thought it might make your life a little bit easier. That's questionable living. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 17. <coughs> every good gift, sorry, every good gift, sorry. every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. I know a couple who made a decision several years back that every year when they got their tax return, this couple is a very generous couple, and they give to the church and do all this stuff. But every year they get their tax return, and they want to do something special with their tax return. So whatever their tax return was, they would take a percentage of that, and they would use it to just bless someone. Just give it as a gift. Someone could be poor, or someone could just be in need, or someone could just be going through a hard time, or someone would make whatever it may be. And they, they made this like a, tra a tradition. And I thought this was so great that actually me and my wife, we did this a couple times as well. And I'm telling you, there is nothing it made me look forward to my taxes. It made me look forward to my taxes to be able to say, okay, here's 500 bucks. I'm just gonna give it to this family. And it's not like the family lost their job, but it's just say, you know what? God put you on my heart, told me that you guys may be going through some tough time. Here's 500 bucks. And I'm telling you, when you do that and you pray about it, say, how does God want me to use this money? What does God want me to do with it? There's no greater feeling in the whole wide world. There's no greater feeling. And it proves what Jesus said, that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. And especially blessed, we said the goal is to bless, and what we discovered is that when we bless, we become blessed. When we make happy, we become happy. When we lighten someone's burden, our burden gets lightened. And this is the way 
that life works. Because God is a giver. And you're never more like God than when you are giving. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God so loved the world, not that he preached, not that he said, not that he spoke, not that he did, he gave. And we all know this, the, 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 the phrase, that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And the definition of God's love is that he gave his son. So now it's your turn. I gave you three options. I don't care if you choose one of these options. I don't care if you choose the same one three different times. I don't care. But your job this week is to bless three people. And my hope is that it's actually not just three people. Because if you remember what we talked about in the beginning, the goal is to turn these actions into habits. I hope that every day you say, I don't want to finish my day unless I have done one good deed, blessed one person in some way. I'm saying start with three. But I'm saying the goal is every single day that we find a way to bless someone with a word, with a touch, with a gift. That it becomes a habit. And it's going to start, like I said, within the church. You bless one person from this church this week. You find one good deed that you can do for a person in this church. So what I'm going to see, and by the way, I don't count. Don't everyone say, we're going to tell Father Anthony that he's great, okay? I just told myself that I'm great, so we don't, I don't need you to tell me, okay? I don't count, okay? One another. So what I'm going to see up here, when God is looking from heaven, this week what he's going to see is blessing and love and affirmation and good stuff. You know, you ever seen like in, in the Olympics, the ping pong, the boom, 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 the ping pong when they go like 100 miles an hour, the Olympic ping pong, that's what God is going to see. Blessing going back and forth and flying around and left and right. And here comes this person blessing this one. And this one's blessing this one. And this one just got blessed. And they say, I don't want to get too much blessing. I want to start blessing more people. And the blessing is going to fly around. And it's going to fly around so much that eventually it's going to ooze out of our church. Because we said one person in the church and at least one person outside of church. So in the streets of Arlington, in your office building, in your schools, in your home, to your grandparents, whatever it's going to be, there's going to be blessing flying all around. And then next Sunday, we're going to have to tell George Mason, we need double the number of chairs in this place. Because there's going to be so much blessing going on out there that people are going to say, what are you all doing in there on Sundays? What are you doing in there to the people? What's in the coffee? What is it that you did to them that made them so loving, that made them so full of grace, that made them so much like Christ? Last story. Once upon a time, there was a team of missionaries, short-term missionaries that went to Thailand to do a, like a two-month mission or something like that. And they wanted to do like a test. So they divided the two groups. They wanted to test the different ways of doing mission, okay, and what's effective and not effective. So they divided into two groups. First group, we call them the blessers. The blessers, they were not to preach. They were not to try to convert anyone, not even to invite anyone to the church. Their job was to simply bless, simply do good things in the community, to just, just improve life in that community. Okay, whatever way they can. Those were the blessers. The second group was what was called the converters. Their job was to preach the gospel and to speak the truth and the message of Christ and his freedom and, and the victory and to preach the gospel and try to convert people. They did that for two months. At the end of the two months, they, did back, they got back the results. First, we saw that when people were asked which of these two groups had a greater impact on the society, which of the two do you think had a greater impact? The blessers for sure. Okay, and people said they really appreciated this group and these guys did great, whatever, 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 and that was no surprise. But here's the bigger surprise. Which of the two groups had a greater effectiveness 
at converting people to Christianity. The blessers. By how much? 50 times greater. Not 15. 50 times. Without ever preaching a word, without ever inviting anyone to their church, these people were 50 times more effective at what? At reconciling people's relationship with God. At bringing people into the eternal family of Christ. At showing people the hope of the gospel and the hope that is found in Christ. These guys, not these guys, not only did they have a greater impact, they also had a greater conversion. And they also helped people relate to God more. <clears throat> Why? Because they were questionable. And we need to be questionable as well. Last quote. St. Teresa of Avila, a Catholic nun from the 15th century or 16th century, said this. Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes to which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. God, when will you bless this co-worker of mine? God says, now. I'm sending you. God, when will you bless this community that we live in? God says, right now. And I'm sending you to do the blessing. I'll sit this one out, you take this round, and then I'll give you a break. You're going to pick up this magnet as soon as I finish. Okay, it'll be people at the doors handing out these magnets. What these magnets are, okay, is a recipe for seasoned living with all five of the habits. You'll see all five of the habits. But we're starting this week with the first one, and you're going to keep this on your fridge all week so that you can remember. But the first habit is to bless three people. And you cannot come back to church next week, even though you can, of course, but unless you have blessed three people this week. And I promise you, what you are going to discover is that when you start blessing people, you are the one who finds the real blessing. You start trying to make people happy, you will find yourself happy. You start trying to lighten someone's load, you will find your load lightened. You say to someone, you are worthwhile. And you will hear God telling you, you are worthwhile as well. And our goal this week is to discover that for ourselves. And last thing, if you got a good story, I would love to hear it. Shoot me an email this week of your stories. If you got a good story. If you got a bad story, you can share it as well. But if you got a good story especially, I would love to hear the story. And I would love to collect all these stories about God, God's body, and the work of God's body through you and you and you and you and you. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all the blessings that you have given to us. Lord, there's no people in the whole wide world who have been given more than us spiritually and physically and, and, and just relationally and so many things. Pray, Lord, that we would never just be selfish and just taking it for ourselves, but that we could make you proud with the way that we take your blessing and we go bless other people in this world. Lord, put on our hearts the people that you want us to bless, the people that you want us to affirm, people that you want us to give gift to or give affection to or pick up or whatever it may be. Put them on our hearts, Lord, so that we can fulfill like th this piece of, of, of your life and follow the same mission that you had. I pray that you would really bless every person here and fill them with your love and fill them with your presence in their lives so that they can go out and share that love and that goodness with every person 
in their world. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.